All right. If you take your Bibles, if you have them tonight, let's open up to the book of Daniel, chapter number 12. Daniel, chapter 12. Tonight we're going to preach on Daniel's end times. Daniel, chapter number 12. Try to conclude our series on the book of Daniel. And it's hard not to do some teaching as we go through here. So tonight we'll have some teaching, but I want you to notice as we go through these verses, just the emphasis that Daniel places on the end times. Notice we'll start in chapter 12, verse number 1. And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. There shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. Then I, Daniel, looked... And behold, there stood another, there stood other two, the one on this side of the bank of the river and the other on that side of the bank of the river. And one said to the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, How long shall it be to the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left hand unto heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever, that it shall be for a time, times, and in half. And when he shall have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people, all these things shall be finished. And I heard, but I understood not. Then said I, O my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Many shall be purified and made white and tried, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand but the wise shall understand. And from the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away and the abomination that maketh desolate set up, there shall be a thousand two hundred and ninety days. Blessed is he that waiteth and cometh to the thousand three hundred and five and thirty days. But go thou thy way till the end be, for thou shalt rest and stand in thy lot at the end of the days. Father, we thank you for the time we can open up the Bible. Amen. Now, I'd like to cover what we see on the chart, and if you can't see the chart very well, I apologize. I'll try to explain it the best I can, but I want to go ahead and cover these days. I call this the time extending. You'll notice in uh, verses 11 and 12, he mentions these specific 1,290 days and then the 1,335 days. So by way of just comparison, let's go over and review. Uh, turn over to Daniel chapter number 9. We do know from Daniel chapter number 9 when he mentions the 70 weeks of Daniel's prophecy that there is one week that is mentioned at the end of the prophecy. 69 weeks are separated from the last week which is the 70th week. And come down to verse number 27 and notice that this last week is divided. Verse 27, He shall confirm the covenant with many for one week and in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and oblation to cease. I'm not going to go back 
over all of that we covered on Daniel's 70th week. So when we talk about these matters, we understand we have a week in Daniel chapter number 9. We went through all of this. A week in the prophecy is seven years. We get that. So half of seven years is three and a half years. And from the book of Revelation, if you want to go ahead and turn there, we'll look at this. Go to Revelation chapter 11. We have these 1,260 days. You have to understand that the Bible timeline is always on a 30-day month. It's not on a 365 calendar year like ours. It's a 30-day month. And you'll see that also in future prophecy, maybe indicating some of the changes in the celestial situation toward the end of time, maybe back on a 30-day calendar. But notice, if you will, Revelation chapter 11, and we'll see this same division that we have, 1260 which is half of seven years. Daniel, I mean, Revelation chapter number 11. We'll go ahead and look at the um, 1260. Look down, if you will, in verse number 3. Now I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and three score days. That's 1260 days. So we see it there. Look over in chapter 12, verse 6. 12, 6. The woman fled into the wilderness where she hath a place prepared of God, that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. That's twelve hundred and sixty days. So we see that, we understand that. As a matter of fact, when you read John's Revelation, there is only mention throughout the entire book of Revelation, twelve hundred and sixty days, three and a half years. Notice how he mentions it as well. Book back in chapter eleven, verse number two. Notice he breaks it down. Revelation 11, verse number 2, he breaks it down to 42 months. Look in verse 2. But the court, which is without the temple, leave out, and measure it not. For it is given unto the Gentiles in the holy city, shall they tread underfoot forty and two months. Forty-two months. That's 1260 days. That's three and a half years. Look over in chapter 12, since we're already in Revelation. Let's look at how this is divided up again. Chapter 12, come down to 14. Revelation 12, 14. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness into her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent. Now we know this from Daniel chapter 12. We just read it a minute ago. The same exact phrase, Daniel 12, 7, time, times, and a half. And also Daniel 7.25, times, time, and the dividing of time. If you have one time and then you got two times, that makes two, and then you got a half. That's three and a half. So a time would be one. You do read that phrase, a time, mentioned, I think, in Daniel chapter 11. So we understand time, times, and half a times is three and a half years. Three and a half years, 42 months, 1,260 days. Okay? So that would be the last part of a seven-year period, which is called Daniel's 70th week. So when we, refer to, when we refer to the last part of Daniel's 70th week, we are talking about a 1,260-day period. It's real specific here in Revelation. And that period is also called by Jesus Christ the Great Tribulation. Now turn over to Matthew 24, and I'll show it to you. And I'll show you when it starts, Matthew chapter 24. It's the last half of Daniel's 70th week. That Matthew chapter 24. And he actually alludes back to the book of Daniel. Some of the passages we've already studied. As well as what we see in Daniel chapter 12. 
when Michael stands up during that time of trouble. Matthew chapter 24, verse 15. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. Okay, so we, we see the 1260 days. Okay, I want you to get that. I think that's... That's about the clearest thing that you have of all these days. It's found in, in John's account in the book of Revelation and also in Daniel's account. Now come back to Daniel chapter 8. I want to mention these 2300 days. And I didn't cover it back in chapter number 8 simply because we're preaching and we're not really teaching through it. But I did want to give you something on that. So some things are real clear, some things are less clear. This 2300 days we're getting ready to talk about is less clear. <laughs> so I'll give you a couple of different options. I drew out one option, but there are a few others. And I'll show you why. Look in Daniel chapter 8, come down to verse number 13. We know the context is prophetic, reaching to the great tribulation because of verse 12. And host was given him against the daily sacrifice by reason of transgression, and it cast down the truth to the ground and prospered. So in other words, the Antichrist at that point has already got an army He's got an host there to prevent the daily sacrifices of the Jews and he's setting up his own, he's transgressing, he's setting up that abomination. So we're in the last half of Daniel's 70th week. This is prophetic here. It's not just historical going back to Antiochus in 168 B.C. So we understand that. Now verse number 13. Then I heard one saint speaking and another saint said unto that certain saint which spake, How long shall be the vision concerning the daily sacrifice and the transgression of desolation? give both the sanctuary and the host to be trodden underfoot. We read that in Revelation 12, didn't we? That the temple's going to be trodden underfoot. How long? 42 months. So we already know we have a 1260-day period that the sanctuary is trodden underfoot. But then he mentions, and the host to be trodden underfoot. But notice he mentions, verse 14, And he said unto me, Under 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. So he is... Mentioning a different thing here, a cleansing of the sanctuary. So it's not 1260 days, it's 2300 days. Which overlaps by 1040 days of our 1260. Now if you look at a 7 year period, you have 2520 days. So 2300 days is 6.3 years, something like that. And it's not the complete length of the 70th week. So if you look at it, you try to figure out how do, we, how do we date this thing. You look at verse number 13. He says, how long shall the vision concerning the daily sacrifice, comma, and the transgression of desolation to give both the sanctuary and the host to be trodden underfoot? So you have both things mentioned. You have the daily sacrifice mentioned and you have the transgression, the abomination of desolation. Here's one, one theory is to take the 2300 years and end it at the end of the Great Tribulation, at the end of, the, end of Daniel's 70th week, 
and then you backlog it all the way back as far as you can go before you run out of time, that leaves you with 220 days. Okay, so if you have Daniel's 70th week, both being consecutive with the first part and the second part, and you have to go back study the previous lesson when I gave you the option of a split week instead of a continual week. But if it is a continual week, then you go back and the first part of the 1260 is a period of peace where the Jews have some type of semblance of order and being able to worship in their temple. And the last half of Daniel's 70th week is destruction. That's when the Jews are persecuted. They have to flee for the 1260 days. And literally all hell breaks loose on earth. It's called the Great Tribulation. So the 220 days may be the starting of the daily sacrifice when the Jews are allowed to do their daily sacrifice. You see that from Daniel 8? So if we go back there. Now, the problem is you could read both of that together, the daily sacrifice and the transgression of desolation. If you do that, then you're going to have to take this 2300 and you're going to have to scoot it over right here at the beginning of the last part of Daniel's 70th week if that's your starting point. And then you're going to have 1040 days out here after the second advent. And so that could be another possibility. Um, another option that I read, somebody had a, a good idea, and I've always placed, you know, when we've talked about the Antichrist possibly being assassinated from Revelation 13, verse number, uh, what is it, 3 or 4, and Revelation 17, verse 8. Um, there's a possibility I've always thought he's assassinated around this time, right in the middle. And then he comes up, instead of being the man of sin, then he's the son of perdition, the, the Antichrist. But there's a possibility, let's say he's assassinated back here. you got that 220-day period. So that's just a couple of different options because we don't have a time frame exactly on that. And some of those areas are gray areas. So, you know, when I don't know, I'll just tell you I don't know. We do know you got a 1260-day period right here is the Great Tribulation. You do know at the end of that is a second advent of Jesus Christ. And so we've got that much down. All right, now let's look at these other days. Come over to Daniel chapter number 12. We have two other numbers that are thrown in here that really we don't have a lot of information on. So don't feel too bad because Daniel didn't understand either. He says, what are these things? And he says, you know, this, this. And Daniel says again, what does it mean? He's like, Daniel, you can't know what it means. It's sealed up till the time of the end. Now, think about that for just a second. It may be some of these mysteries that we're trying to unlock on this side of the rapture may not be unlocked until during the Great Tribulation when those Jewish believers are going through and God is showing them things as they have to understand in order to basically preserve their lives. So John, of course, shed some light on this. But Daniel, he says, what does this mean? And so he gets another set of numbers in verses 11 and 12. Notice verse number 11. From the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away and the abomination that make a desolation set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Now, this cannot mean between the time that they start having sacrifices and when he sets up the abomination. How do you know that? Come back to chapter 11. Look at 11.31. And the arms shall stand on his part, and they shall pollute the sanctuary of strength, and shall take away the daily sacrifice, and they shall place the abomination that maketh desolation, that maketh desolate. So that thing is taken up. As soon as the abomination, soon as the sacrifices are stopped, he places the abomination. In other words, the Antichrist, which it looks like, there's some type of image or idol that the Antichrist that is made to the Antichrist, Revelation 13, 
the image of the beast, an idol that's set up in the Holy of Holies, or it's the Antichrist himself declaring himself to be God, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. But that's said in Daniel chapter 11 to take place as soon as the sacrifices stop. There's not a period of 1,290 days between when they stop the sacrifices and when the abomination is set up. You can't have that. It doesn't work. I mean, when the sacrifices stop, the abomination of desolation is put in there. So that's not, that, it can't mean that. So go back to Daniel 12, 11, look at it again. From the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away and the abomination that make of desolation set up. So that's, that's one event. There shall, there, shall be, um, there shall be 1,290 days. So we have 1,290 days. But according to everything else we see in Daniel, we're overshooting the end of the 1260 that John is very specific about. I mean, 42 months, times, times and a half. Daniel even does time, times and a half. I mean, that's, that's it. But you're overshooting this thing by 30 days. Well, there, you have some options. We know there's a judgment of the nations, Matthew chapter 25, where Jesus Christ sets up his throne and he judges the nations. So there's a possibility there. Now look in verse 12. Let's look at the next set of numbers. Blessed is he that waiteth and cometh to the thousand three hundred five and thirty days. Now there's a special blessing attached to someone who's, who's here beyond the thirty days, forty-five more days. That's thirteen hundred and thirty-five days after the second advent. There's a blessing. Almost like Revelation 1, blessed is he that readeth. Now, when you read about the marriage supper, you read about it in a couple places in, in um, Matthew 25 and over in Luke. We read about the marriage supper in uh, Revelation chapter number 19. We know that when we're caught up to meet the Lord in the air, we go on to what's called the judgment seat of Christ where we are tried and judged according to our deeds, not for salvation but for service. That's our judgment. And then we have what's called the marriage of the Lamb where He makes His bride ready and we have that period where we meet the Lord in a very special time before the second advent. But we also read about a marriage supper. Now the reason I mention this down here, and there's a possibility, I don't have time to get into Matthew and Luke, that there's two suppers. Because some of that, when you read Matthew 25, those ten virgins, which are representative of someone in the great tribulation, they're not going out to, to get married, they're going out to meet the bridegroom. And you begin to read those passages and put two and two together, you have someone that comes out of the great tribulation that gets a blessing. And it very well may be that they're there at the marriage supper after the judgment of the nations when the sheep and the goats are separated. And then you have the beginning of the millennial kingdom. Much like when you have a wedding and then the bride and groom go off for three hours to take pictures and everybody's starving to death. <laughs> then you might go to another location. There's been many weddings we went to and they say, hey, the reception's at so-and-so, some barn somewhere. Everybody's got to have a barn. And then you've got to drive out in the country to some barn and get in there and they have a reception. The reception's at a different place than the wedding was. And so here's maybe the reception and everybody's sitting around eating. Uh, if those Jews can finally eat shrimp <laughs> and catfish. Uh, but we have the marriage supper there. So that's just a possibility. Like I said, that's about all I can throw at it. And we just don't have a lot of information on it. So those are guesses. Sometimes you have guesses, and sometimes you even don't even mention what your guesses are, but I figured I'd just throw some of that out. By way of reference, if you want to jot down Esther chapter 2, verse 16, Esther 2, 16, you have a tight picture 
of the second advent and a type picture of the marriage supper coming later. If you trace the second advent on the Feast of Tabernacles and you go 75 days and you're, you're dealing with that same, same time period there mentioned in the book of Esther. Now, let's go back to Daniel and let's work through this and we'll look at some end times according to Daniel. It's very interesting that as you read Daniel 11 and 12, that word time and times just keeps popping up. I looked at it in my concordance and 47 times in Daniel the word time or times appears. And Daniel's not a very large book. And so first of all, look in Daniel chapter 12. Notice he mentions the time of trouble. Verse number 1, At that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince, which standeth up for the children of thy people, and there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, everyone that shall be found written in the book. This is a time of great destruction. This is what Jesus referred to when he said there will be a time of great tribulation. He's making reference back here to Daniel chapter number 12. Notice he says, thy people. You see that over and over in Daniel. You need to understand all of this relates to the Jewish nation. The rapture of the church takes place before all of this. We're out. We come back at the second advent of Christ. And you have to understand when you see this about thy people, the whole panoramic view of Bible prophecy relates to the nation of Israel. It's not all about the red, white, and blue. It's all about Jerusalem. And so you want to understand this. Turn over to Jeremiah chapter 30. I quote this a lot, but i like for you to see it with your own eyes. Jeremiah chapter number 30. If you want to understand Bible prophecy, you have to put the Jew in the right place for all the pieces of the puzzle to fit correctly. If you put the church in place of the Jew, you're going to have problems. Even in Jesus' discourse on the Mount of Olives, Matthew 24, he's dealing with Jews, that whole passage. People try to put the rapture in Matthew 24. If you put the rapture in Matthew 24, that means the church goes through the Great Tribulation right here. You can't do that. You create all kind of biblical heresies. And so you want to make sure you understand to separate the Jew from the church. Notice here in Jeremiah chapter 30, very specific here, verse number 7. Alas for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. It's a time of great destruction, but it's called Jacob's trouble. Now, yes, it's going to impact the entire globe. We understand that. You read the book of Revelation, you know, a third of the trees are burned up. and All of this global disaster, earthquakes and all kind of things, the signs in the heavens with different things going on with the, with the uh, atmosphere and stratosphere and all these things taking place. It is a time of great destruction. But at the heart of this is God bringing His people, the Jews, to their knees. And at the end of this period, they are going to turn and they are going to receive their rejected Messiah as a nation. And they're finally going to be saved uh, as a nation. Paul mentions this in Romans chapter number 11. And so then he says, all Israel shall be saved when, when the deliverer comes from Zion, he says. Revelation chapter 11, verse number 26. The great tribulation is mentioned here. It's a time of trouble. Revelation 2.22, if you're taking notes, you can jot it down. John mentions that phrase, great tribulation. Luke 21, verse 23, it's called great distress in the land. 
He even mentions the waves roaring. In other words, there's going to be global catastrophic destruction in this period. I'll give you just a few things. There's been a lot of earthquakes in history, and of course, I know modern times we've been able to record more, just like the weather patterns, you know, say, hey, it's been hotter than it has been. Well, how long have they really been recording accurately the, the weather? You know, I don't know how, how long. Um, so you have to be real careful on assimilating your data. But earthquakes in history, some of the worst, there was one in Shanxi, China in 1556 that killed 830,000 people. There was an 8.5 magnitude quake that hit the Haiyuan County of the province of the Republic of China in 1920. It killed 235,502 people. There was another one in China in 1976, magnitude 8. It killed 242,000 people. Um, let me give you this other one. I remember when all this happened. We even saw some video on it back in 2004. There was a 9.1 magnitude earthquake that struck beneath the Indian Ocean and near Indonesia. It generated a massive tsunami that claimed more than 230 lives in 14 different countries. Some of you probably saw some of the footage of that water coming in, just a wall of water coming in because of the earthquake. Now in 1931, the Yance River in China rose and began one of the worst natural disasters the flood killed 3.7 million directly over the next several months from that flood. But in the Great Tribulation, there's going to be a great earthquake. The Bible says, such as never has been. Revelation mentions it two or three times. There's also other things. The Black Death was called the bubonic plague in Europe. The first five years, 1347 to 52, it killed 20 million people. 20 million. So far, COVID's killed 1 million. Based on numbers, who knows numbers? The, I'm sure, a great conservative WHO organization, ha, 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 they say it's 3 million. But that's nothing like 20 million and consider population increase. You know, they talk about the thousands that were killed, the soldiers during the Civil War. When they take the population statistics, by the way, we have 22 million in Florida. The United States had 31 million during the Civil War. We almost have as many people in Florida as the whole country had during the Civil War. So when you look at the casualties of the men, the soldiers lost, both North and South, and they have to try to figure the numbers. That's complicated. But when they take those and they try to put them into modern day population and then bring up the percentages, you would have had 6 million casualties. Soldiers would have died in the Civil War. I mean, consider that. More, more soldiers have been lost in the Civil War than, of, than in Vietnam, Korea, World War I, World War II combined. Not just you know, statistically, but the actual numbers. So when you begin to think about these things, you think about what's going to take place, let me go ahead and give you the numbers that's recorded in Revelation chapter 9. Based on current population, there will be 2.4, not million, but there will be 2.4 billion people dead. The Lord wants you dead, He's going to make you dead. 2.4 billion. 
You read about in the book of Revelation about the stench and about the water turning to blood. Can you imagine that many dead carcasses all over the place? It's unbelievable. And I don't know how far this thing goes. You know, in another 50 years, where are we going to be at? Nine, nine billion or something on the planet? I don't know. I mean, you just look back. It doesn't take long for that thing to begin doubling and tripling. You know what I mean? I'm no statistician. But you look back just 10 years ago, and you know, the population, you know, you're looking at, you know, 4 million or something like that, and you start, it, that thing starts moving up quick. So the longer this thing goes and you still look at the third of the population and so forth, you're looking at 2.4, maybe you know, even up to 3 billion casualties. That's what the scripture says, Revelation 9.15. So it's a time of great destruction, but also look in Daniel 12.1. It's a time of grand defense. Look what he says. Michael shall stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. We read about this in Revelation 12. The Bible says there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought in his angels. So Michael is a defender of the Jewish people. Remember our study back when we talked about the things in the darkness, when we talked in Daniel chapter 10 about the princes and the principalities and powers that represent the kingdoms of this world. So we have that. We understand that when he mentioned, Gabriel mentioned having to fight with the king of Greece, he's not fighting with the literal, literal king of Greece. When Ezekiel goes and stands in front of the king of Tyrus and says, you were in the Garden of Eden, he's addressing the prince of this world, the devil. So there are principalities and powers that are manipulating things in the spirit world that have a direct correlation to the physical world. And I'm telling you, with all this weird technology today and all this virtual reality, all of these images that place you subconsciously or even consciously in your mind and in your consciousness in another realm... They say, and some of these guys tell me about this stuff, I've never done it. I think I'm too scared to do it. You put on these virtual things, and then you literally think that you're standing there. And if you're about to fall off a cliff, you'll start having heart palpitations because it's that real. I don't know. I've never seen this stuff. But that, I'm telling you, that is bridging a gap between a spiritual world and a real world. And the devil is behind that stuff. I don't know how it's all going to play out. I don't understand it. But I know that something's going to take place where the devil is going to be able to do that. You read about these beasts coming out of the earth. You read about these creatures and all these things. And there's an effect where a person can take a mark on their hand and it damns their soul. You're connecting the conscious and you're connecting the soul to the, to the physical world. The devil has obviously always tried to worship. He's always tried to create worship. That's the whole purpose. He gets the leash let off a little bit longer during the Great Tribulation. So Michael stands in there to protect God's people. The devil thinks he's going to have his heyday. He thinks he's going to be able to destroy. Boy, I think he was having a heyday during the Holocaust. Man, he thought he was going to burn them out. He thought he was going to put them in the ovens and he was going to get rid of God's chosen people and he was going to overthrow the promises of God. But he didn't. He didn't. And it might be that some countries like ours were just here for such a time as this to be able to knock the pants off some of those people. Hurrah for the red, the wet, red, white, and blue. Amen. I know those Russians are some bad soldiers too. But hey, you got to credit the the, the uh, you got to credit our forces for some of this. I know, man, those German soldiers are something else. But you turn you turn off the uh, the generation and the World War II generation. Those are some bad guys. I don't want to mess with those guys. 
And let me say hats off to those in Korea and Vietnam as well. You just didn't have the right kind of support behind you. Amen and amen. Don't, don't get me off on that. I'm just like this. If you're going to have to fight, just go ahead and fight. Don't play no games. I mean, go ahead. If you're going to go in there for the kill, wipe them out. Michael stands up and he is going to defend the Jewish people. And we read about some of that in Revelation chapter 12 where there is a reprieve and there is a fleeing into the wilderness. You read about a lot of symbolism in the Old Testament. It's referred to as Selah. You read it in the book of Psalms. When you're going through Psalms, you see that Selah pop up. It's like a pause. They, a lot, the scholars, they don't really know what it is. They say it may be a pause. It may be this, that, the other. That word Selah also has to do with south of the Dead Sea area, an actual historical place. And you read about that place, it's almost like that is the reprieve. And every time you read the book of Psalms and come across that, if you look at it prophetically, it has second advent references. And God is going to supernaturally protect His chosen people. Michael will be instrumental. It's a time of grand defense. Michael is going to stand up and the devil himself is going to be cast out. We know there's three casting out. We have a cow or five really total. But you have the devil was cast out of God's presence originally. We all know that. Isaiah 14 verse 12, Ezekiel 28 verse 12. But he goes from the third heaven to the second heaven. I have no business. I have no... Um, dreams of wanting to get on a ship and fly up to Mars. I mean, I don't even know that I'd want to go to the moon. That's still pretty far away. I don't even think I'd want to get up there and you know, rotate around the earth a little ways. I, don't know. I go about 36,000 feet and that's high enough for me. Um, because the devil goes from the third heaven to the second heaven. That's, the, that's where the blackness that you see out there. God is light. You look up there, all you see is blackness. We're separated from him. There's that blackness, and the devil is in that realm now. But when he fights with Michael in Revelation 12 during the Great Tribulation, he's going to go from that realm down to the earth. And that has to do, I believe, with this period right here where he permanently indwells his son. He's called the son of perdition. And, of course, the dragon as the representative of the false trinity, representing God the Father. You have the beast the representing the, the son of the the, the, uh, the dragon. And then you have the false prophet representing the Holy Spirit. But you have a place where this period of 1260, the devil, the Bible says, has come down to the earth having great wrath, for he knoweth he hath but a short time. And he literally persecutes the Jews nearly to extinction. It's a time of grand defense, but it's also a time of glorious deliverance. Now come over to the book of Revelation. Let me give you these verses. He mentions in Daniel chapter 12 that these people of the Jews are going to be delivered, but he mentions everyone that should be found written in the book. Look in Revelation 3. You'll see this thing pop up over and over and over. And it's always mentioned, just like Jesus in Matthew 24, he said, He that endureth unto the end, the same shall be saved. There's a time of persecution, and through that persecution, the believers during the Great Tribulation, it's not like the church age, they have to have great perseverance through this period. If they backslide, if you will, if they fall away, Hebrews chapter 6, if you will, and they make the mistake of saying, you know what, I'm really hungry. Go ahead and give me the mark. I need a McDonald's. <laughs> if they take that mark, they're done. They're lost. 
Revelation chapter 14 says, verse 11, The smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. Whoso receiveth the mark of the beast. And so this period here is a time of great destruction, but it's a time of great deliverance. But it's for those that are written in the book. Look in Revelation chapter 3. Notice in verse number 5, He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Look over in chapter 13, Revelation 13. Now don't get confused with the 144,000 that are permanently sealed. There are a group of witnesses that you read about in Revelation 7 and also in Revelation 14. And I believe they're implied over there in Revelation chapter 8, the ones that, that uh, do not go with the, um, with the little horn. And they are the witnesses. They're the ones that are preaching the gospel of the kingdom and all the world for a witness. And I believe they have behind them the two witnesses, Moses and Elijah, who I believe are the two witnesses of Revelation 11. They're the ones that are spearheading that witness of Christ. You know, the thing that, that gets me by the end of this tribulation, and you kind of see glimpses of it now, the people on this earth, they know, the ones that have followed the Antichrist, they know who they're fighting against. They're fighting against the Lamb. And you see that especially in the academic world now. They know they're not dumb. Look, listen, folks. It's not an accident that forced education was brought on our society several years ago. And it's not an accident that within that forced education system, they force people to teach there is no God. It is no accident that within that forced education system, they took the Bible and stuck it outside of their libraries. Although you can get the Book of Mormon and all these other things and the Quran and all that kind of stuff in the school libraries. It's not, an, it's not, it's not done by accident. It's not an accident that they're pushing all of this sodomy that you see going on now. It's not an accident. They are planning a war against Jesus Christ. And their man's going to show up one day, the Antichrist. He's going to show up. And they're going to love him and they are going to worship him. And you know what they're going to get? Just like the nation of Israel did. They got Saul that time. They're going to get exactly what they wanted. And by the end of this thing, they know they're going to be fighting against Jesus Christ. And so for those that are enduring through the tribulation, it's tough. Look in Revelation 13, come down to verse 8. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life. You see that? Look in chapter 14, verse 12. This thing shows up over and over in the book of Revelation. Verse 11. The smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night. Whoso worship the beast in his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. I don't see the book there. Go on to chapter number 17. 17, 8. 17.8. 8, the beast that thou sawest was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. Come over to chapter 20. Revelation 20.15, very familiar passage. This is the great white throne judgment. Revelation 20.15, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So it's a time of deliverance. We have a time of destruction, a time of defense, but a time of deliverance. I come back to Daniel 12, and I'll try to wrap this up. Daniel also summarizes everything by way of the time of forever and ever. 
Look in Daniel chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. Daniel 12, 2 and 3. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. They that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. So we have a resurrection. Acts chapter 24, Paul mentions when he's brought before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish rulers. He saw half was Pharisees and half were Sadducees, and he brought up the subject of the resurrection. And he says, they have hope toward God, which they themselves also allow, that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and of the unjust. There's a resurrection, but it's in two parts. There's a division to this resurrection. Just like you have a division now between those that are saved and those that are lost. There's only two kind of people on this earth. Southerners and Northerners. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> only two kinds of people on this earth. Those that are saved and those that are not saved. There's no in-between ground. And so when we look at the resurrection, just breaking it down simply, you have the resurrection of the just and the resurrection of the unjust. He mentions everlasting life, and then in Daniel he mentions shame and everlasting contempt. And so really simplistic, if we bust it down that way, I am glad that I'm saved because I am included in the resurrection of the just. The resurrection of life instead of the resurrection of everlasting death. In Revelation 20, if you'll turn over there, we'll look at these two resurrections. You'll notice that these two resurrections are separated by a thousand-year millennial reign of Christ. Revelation chapter number 20, you'll notice the first three verses. This is when Satan is bound for a thousand years. That, word, that phrase, thousand years, that's where we get the word from the Latin word millennium. That word thousand years appears six times in Revelation chapter 20. And so he mentions that verses 1 through 3. In verse number 4, we see the kingdom, thrones, and they that sat upon him. We see the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus. These are tribulation saints. They didn't receive the mark of the beast. They live and reign with Christ. Look at it in the end of verse 4. A thousand years. But the rest of the dead, verse 5, live not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Okay? So when we think about it this way, we have a resurrection of the just and of the unjust. The resurrection of the unjust will take place at the end of the millennium, at the end of that thousand-year period. You read about it in verses 11 all the way through to verse number 15. And that's where the ones that are raised up standing before God, and if they're not saved, it's a time of shame. It's a time of contempt. They are under condemnation. And if they're brought up from hell, let's say somebody died during the time of the apostles in the book of Acts. They've been in hell. You ever think about this? If somebody died back in, you know, A.D. 40 or A.D., where are we at, 22? A.D. 22, they've been in hell for 2,000 years, burning. The great white throne judgment, they're going to be brought up. Now, I don't know if they're going to have any relief because they're going to be standing in front of God who is light. They're going to be standing in front of God. The Bible says He is a consuming fire. I don't think they're going to have any reprieve. And their name's not going to be found in the book of life. They're going to be cast into their permanent place. It's called the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. 
Jesus made mention of this in Mark chapter 9. He says, where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. What shall it profit a man if he gain his own, if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And that's an awful place of regret, of shame, everlasting contempt. But thank the Lord, there's a time of rewards for us. He mentions there in Daniel chapter number 12, in our text, he mentions those that turn many to righteousness shall shine as the stars forever and ever. The Bible mentions the path of the just that shineth like a light that shineth more and more, Proverbs 4.18. Matthew 13.43, Jesus said, Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of the Father. 1 Thessalonians 2, Paul said, What is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord? Jesus, I mean, Paul called his converts his crowns. There's an old hymn that says, Will there be any stars in my crown, in my crown, when at even the sun goeth down? The idea is that you might get rewarded and you might get rewarded a crown. And in that crown you might have some stars. Not necessarily stars like the stars in the firmament, but they shine bright like those stars. And they are stars in a crown made up of jewels. And we read in Revelation 4 that the 24 elders, when they see the Lamb on the throne, they take their crowns and they cast them at His feet. Because He's King of Kings. And He deserves all the crowns. Say, preacher, why do you want to get a crown so you can put it on there and strut around and say, look at my crown, look at my crown, look at my crown. No. If I get a crown, I'm going to take that crown and I'm going to put it at Jesus' feet. And if you get a crown, I know that's what you're going to be doing with it because we read about it in Revelation 4. That's representative of the church there. There are folks in Revelation 4 and 5, you read about the 24 elders, kind of a mysterious thing, but they're said to be those that are redeemed from all the nations of the earth. And you think about those that are saved ever since the cross from all the nations of the earth. You get a crown, I'm going to put it at his feet. A time of regret for some, but a time of rewards for many. Now let's come to the end, look in verse number 4. Daniel 12, 4. But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall be increased. I've commented on this before. And it's amazing a lot of the expositors, they try to say that this has nothing to do with what it appears in the text. People going to and fro and knowledge being increased. They say it has to do with people trying to find out what the vision means. I don't get that from Daniel 12, 4. They try to tie it into the book of Amos. You know, many shall run to and fro and seek the word of the Lord and not be able to find it, you know. Maybe you can get some application for that. But many running to and fro and knowledge shall be increased. I think we're in those times. And the time of the end is drawing nigh. And I think we have times fulfilled. And so my admonition for us as we close out our study of the book of Daniel, to realize we're closer today than we were last week. I think I started preaching through Daniel right at the end of the year. 13 messages or whatever, 13 Sunday nights, and here we are. We're closer to the rapture than we were when we started. And as we've seen the past couple of years, things have changed. It's exciting. I don't like to see our freedoms... Uh, prohibited. I don't like to see any of that, but we have to understand some of these things have to be in place for what the Bible says. And let me go ahead and say this, and you know it and you believe it. 
this Bible is not going to return back void. Everything this says is going to happen. It is going to happen. And you can try to get in politics or get in the finances or change whatever or build your bunker or do whatever you're going to do. It's not going to change what God says is going to happen. The best thing to do is to accept the times that we're in. You know, I sometimes wish I was in some of the times that maybe even some of you saw where certain wicked things were not even talked about or even thought of. I know personally, and you parents, you do what you do, if I had children, they would not be allowed to watch regular television. That's just me. You say, why? Number one, the commercials. I don't even watch regular television. I don't want to see that. I'm not going to look at two guys holding hands or two girls holding That just ain't going to happen. There are certain things that I didn't even know existed maybe until middle school, and it wasn't because my parents, it was because the knuckleheads that you hung around in the wicked schools, even back then. People say, I need a sign. Well, if you don't, can't see all this stuff as a sign, I don't, there ain't no help for you. Jesus is coming soon. And if I had my prayer answered, it'd be tonight. Even so, come Lord Jesus. That's the last prayer in the Bible. That's a good prayer to pray every night. Sometimes I wonder if all the Christians all over the world if we could ever unify, at least on this, let's all pray at the same time for Jesus to come get us out of here. Maybe he'd snatch us out of here. I don't know. That'd be good for me. Let's all stand.